Welcome to episode three of Myths and Monsters. It is actually episode 17.5, I believe. And today we are, it's the end of the month. And so this is your special bonus. And we're going to talk about gin and tulpa today. Yes. Or I started last time, you start this time. Alrighty. So I decided to do gin because it's, it's just been nagging me lately. Sorry, my cat is bumping my arm. Um, and so like every time uh, we've talked about, you know, what are we going to do next? Jen has just been the one that's popped into my head without reason. So I figured I'd go ahead and do it. Um, so Jen is an Arabic collective noun deriving from the Semitic root whose primary meaning is to hide or to conceal. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Some authors interpret the word to mean literally, you know, beings that are concealed from the senses. It's been anglicized and romanized. So it's been taken into different cultures, which is where, you know, genies come from, like our modern ideal of a genie um, is the more anglicized version. Um, and they're supernatural creatures in early pre-Islamic Arabian and later Islamic mythology and theology. But they have like a more broad meaning of like spirits or demons, depending on what source um, you're going from. So like humans, they're, they're created with something called fitra. And basically this means uh, they're neither born as believers or unbelievers, but their attitudes kind of determine whether or not they accept God's guidance. Um, okay. And that's basically what Fitra is. So they're more like on, on the human side with that kind of thing. Jinn okay. um, are neither innately evil or innately good. So Islam was able to adapt spirits from other religions during its expansion. Uh, so basically it just like they're able to, you know, Jinn are across cultures just because they're so ambiguous. Jinn okay. um, are not strictly an Islamic concept. Uh, they're also, they may represent several pagan beliefs integrated into Islam. Some scholars of the Middle East hold that they originated as malevolent spirits residing in deserts and unclean places, and they often take the form of um, different animals. Interesting. Unclean places. Yeah, I, which was interesting because, you know, I've heard personally, and I'll get to it later in this too, that they um, are spirits of like air and fire, but I've never heard okay. that they're spirits of unclean places. So I thought that was like super interesting. It's interesting. Uh, others hold that they were originally pagan nature deities. Uh, who gradually became marginalized as other deities took great importance. Um, so more to deal with nature, like I've heard before, like the wind and the fire kind of, kind of thing. Um, according to common Arabian beliefs, soothsayers, pre-Islamic philosophers, and poets were inspired by the jinn. Jinn had been worshipped by many Arabs during the pre-Islamic period, but unlike gods, jinn were not regarded as immortal. Which I thought okay. was interesting, because I always, I don't know, I guess in my head, they've always been like, you know, these spirits that are obviously like kind of immortal, but yeah. yeah. So it was interesting to see that they were considered not, not immortal. Um, okay. However, Jen were also feared and thought to be responsible for causing various diseases and mental illnesses, which I found on several sources. Like I found wow. everywhere that they were thought to, which I had never heard before. So I thought that mm -hmm. was really interesting. Jinn are also assumed to appear in the shape of various animals, which I've mentioned, such as scorpions, cats, and owls, and also the black dogs, which if you know anything about black dog mythology, which, you know, I wouldn't mind covering that in the future, they're more like um, omens of death, kind of. They're more of a negative connotation uh, yeah. to them. And then, um, oh yeah, and then this is where I get to where they're more related to nature. So the Jinn are related to the wind and may appear in mists and sandstorms, which is more along the lines of what I have heard. Yeah, that's what I always thought. Yeah, that's what, because I always imagine them in more like deserty areas, like dry areas, and maybe that's because of Aladdin, I don't know. That's what I was about to say, you know, Aladdin is shaped to the American mind, so, yeah. you know, that could be our right. issue. 
Yeah, exactly. So some say that the that they view the jinn as shadowy ghosts with no individual structure. Um, they're said to dwell in conceivable inanimate objects, so you know, like lamps, like the one in Aladdin, stones, trees, and ruins um, underneath the earth, in the air, and also in fire, which is more, you know, again, yeah. along the lines of what I've, what I've heard. Okay. Um, a common characteristic of the jinn is their lack of individuality, however. They can gain individuality by materializing in human forms. So not only can they appear as animals, they can also appear to be more human. But most of the time, like, they end up doing kind of a mixture. So they kind of have some human qualities with animal traits. And so they tend to be more monstrous, like monstrosities, as opposed to, like, human or beautiful or whatever, you know? I, I picture a centaur for some reason. Interesting. I don't or think the, centaurs are genies. <laughs> I don't think so either. Or the Sphinx, with the cat with the human face. I don't yeah, know. I guess I, would, I guess in my head I kind of picture it, which is Greek, it's completely different, but is the Minotaur? Ah, yeah. Yeah, completely different culture, but that's like immediately what popped into my head. So yeah, they, they tend to be monstrous and anthropomorphized creatures with body parts from different animals or humans with animal traits, um, is how they're often depicted, which is funny because, again, because of Aladdin, I feel like I picture them more as like these spirits that are like, more um, amorphous, like one of the other descriptions that we have, where they're just kind of part of the air or part of the That's, fire. Yeah, I've always associated them with wispy air, you know, the, the genie that comes out of the bottle and the smoke and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, and like they don't have legs and they're just kind of yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's more along the lines of what I picture too, which I haven't seen, um, I want to see the live action Aladdin. It's a little bit. I haven't up, seen it either. Yeah, yeah I want to, I've heard it's good. Oh, so witchcraft is often associated with Gen 2, like especially around like Middle East and Middle Eastern uh, mythology. Um, it's said that a sorcerer can summon a Gen and force them to perform orders, and they can be sent after a chosen person for demonic possession, which oh. I thought was super interesting because I've always associated genies with like wishes and like that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and this sounds more like the, uh, you know, stereotypical, a witch summons a demon and sends them on tasks kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So I thought that was super neat because um, I've seen that used in urban fantasy. I, you know, the the witch summons summons a demon. Like, um, what's that series? The Kim Harrison, The Hollows, The Hollows mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. um, she does she does that where she summons demons, and once you know, once you have that demon, you send them to go and do whatever. So I thought it was really interesting relating that to Jen. Yeah. And then Jen are also regarded as assistants of soothsayers, which are you know they reveal information about the past and present. They're more like fortune tellers. And the oh. reason for that is that Jen can be a source of information with this because they live for so long. They outlive humans and they have all this, you know, knowledge about the past and everything. So they help soothsayers um, predict the future. I've already got little ideas going in my head for some new stories using Jen. That's interesting. Isn't it super cool? Because I, I feel like especially in your, um, your freaking fairy series, yeah. You could do something with Jen. I'm sure junk, junky Jen. I don't know. That's <laughs> probably not. Junky Jen. Don't, don't take my advice on this. Uh, uh, another way. Oh, so Jen can also be subjugated not only by summoning, but if you put a needle into their skin or in oh. their dresses or like their clothing, they're afraid of iron. So if you put a, a needle of iron into their skin or dresses, they can't take it out themselves because they're afraid of it. And so therefore you have them under your control. Um, Interesting. I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, Cause I've, I mean, you know, you hear all the time the Fae are afraid of iron and you know, all kinds of different magical creatures are afraid of iron. So I thought it was really interesting that it was also part of this 
mythology. That's neat. Yeah. Um, so they're often depicted as genies due to being westernized. Um, and they're also known to grant wishes. Um, so then I have a few examples of where they show up in pop culture. Okay. Um, so I have been on a Charmed binge uh, lately. So, you know, if, if you don't know Charmed, it's the three witch sisters and they fight demons and all that. And Are you watching uh, the old version or the new version? Oh, the old version. Old version's yeah. classic. Gotta watch the old version. Yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't actually tried the new version, so I'll, it, I'll have to It's pretty good, out. too. It's good, oh, okay. too. But nice. it's, I, I'm spoiled by the original. Nothing oh. will ever come close to the original. Me, too. Especially, you know, I grew up on it. It was live as I was growing up, so I grew yeah. up with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it would be hard for me to completely switch over to being like, yes, this new Charmed is great, and I'm sure it is, but there's they, always going to be like a good adult. job of not trying to be exactly the same because yeah. we would all be disappointed because nothing can ever. So they, they've done a decent job of making it its own show. So. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to, I'll have to look at it, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm on season six now and there were two episodes of genies so far. And really, I don't um, remember any genies in the charmed, but it's been a long time. Yeah, true. There was one in season three um, and it ended up having, you know, Prue got killed. They're known as tricksters, which I've covered in one of right. our Smith myth and um, legends episodes and so you know it got Prue killed and he regretted it and then he ended up getting set free and then Phoebe got turned into a genie in one episode which is pretty funny. I vaguely remember that. Yeah no it was good they were good. Um, there's also a half gen in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe which I don't remember. I've read that book but I haven't it read it since like elementary school. A long time ago. Yeah, but apparently there's a half gen in that, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, obviously, Disney's version of Aladdin, which is based on the story of Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. There's a story of the gen in the 1001 Nights stories uh, with the fisherman and the genie, um, which is oh, one that yeah. I had to read in, like, middle school, you know, yeah. for, um, lit class and all that. So I know, I remember having to read that one. Um, apparently, there's a gen in Doctor Who, which I haven't seen, but I thought it was interesting that they used it. Um, I have not watched, okay, I'm going to get crucified. I haven't watched any Doctor Who ever, so I need to do that. Well, I'll take it up a notch and say that I was not a fan of it, but... Really? That's just, yeah, that's just personal taste. Oh, there wow. There was something about it that I just, I was not, I was not a huge fan of it. Huh. So, yeah. Not, not to say that it's bad. I've got tons of friends who love it. Um, there was just something about it that didn't click with me, so... Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I've never watched any of them, so I don't know if I'll love it or hate it or... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe I should give it another go. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, oh, I, you know, I picked up one thing and didn't really like it and then pick it up again later and maybe I'll love it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, because, you know, there are so many things about Doctor Who that you see references to and it looks so good. So maybe yeah. I just need to cast like a specific doctor or something. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, um, maybe. And then the last one that I have is there is a gin in The Witcher. So. I just it's watched actually, The Witcher. What? Oh, I don't know. Witcher. I'm not sure if it's in the Netflix show oh. or if it will be in a future season. Because it was um, in the game. It is in the game and it is in the books. It may be. I, I've binged so many things being in quarantine that they're all running together. I know I loved The Witcher, but I don't remember all the details in it. No, and the where it ends up, I don't think, because I've seen the, the show too, and I've also played the Witcher 3 game, um, and it is 
in the Witcher 3 game and it's in the backstory of the Witcher 3 game. So like before before this game is when it showed up. And then you got the books for Christmas. Have you read them yet? I have not yet. Okay. Um, okay. I need to, but I'm pretty sure that the uh that the gen is in that as well. Okay. Um because it's a major plot point between uh the Witcher and uh Yennefer, the um sorceress yeah. chick. So yeah so that's that's Jen which I you know there was a lot of a lot of nitty-gritty detail that I could have gone into and I didn't want to delve that deep into it yeah um, but there was a lot of information about them out there and I was I was really interested in like you know how they came to be what they look like um the things they can do what you know what do people think of them kind of thing so that's more more along the lines of what I covered that has really sparked all kinds of ideas for me I mean, yeah. you could make the gin the main character. You could make the gin a rock that you throw it at your main character. I mean, there's so many things. And I love yeah. the trickster aspect, which you covered in the last myth and monster thing. Yeah. Tricksters are a lot of fun where they're tricky and you have to be careful what you ask for. Yes. Uh, yeah. So interesting. Well, I have done the tulpa. Yeah. And I got to say, I have heard things about this and I've had like book ideas in the past about it but just like I have been unsure about kind of how to go about using them in urban fantasy so like I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you got to say. It is quite fascinating. I had only heard a little bit uh, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why later because I'm going to get into examples but okay. a tulpa is basically an independent entity created by belief. Yeah. That is a very simple explanation for it. The concept came, it's, it's a concept of mysticism and paranormal where a being or object is created through spiritual or mental powers. Yeah. It's a thought form. It's something formed completely from thoughts, but it becomes tangible. Uh, it was adapted by 20th century theosophists from the Tibetan Spurlpa, which means emanation or manifestation. So, it used to be thought of as like monks using it to control, you know, their themselves, their control, their own bodies, control their thoughts. And monks through meditation were thought to make things real. So, you know, that you think about meditation and that focused energy that goes into medita meditation. And that's what they think is required to go from thought to physical. Okay. Also, it's the, think of the imaginary friend concept. Oh, the yeah. Children who have imaginary friends and make them make their, well, they think their friends are real. We as adults don't see them. Right. On an individual level, you create a tulpa by imagining the thing in your head, treating it as a person, giving it attention and belief, and then it can grow into a sentient being independent of the person creating it. Wow. Yeah, which I had never, I had only heard of it as a group thing. I had never heard of it as an individual thing. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I think I've always heard of it as a group thing. Like it's a mass, um, a mass belief. And because there is so much belief by so many people, it becomes a tangible thing. And on the individual level, I mean, think about it. This has got huge uh, potential for urban fantasy. Think of a child who was abused so badly that 
they created this friend to help them and it becomes this tangible thing and it could go and take revenge on whoever is abusing, you know, so many thoughts of what to do with this on an urban fantasy level. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a gradual process that takes shape over time. It could take months or even years to collect enough psychic energy to manifest unless it's done on a group level, which is the way I've always thought about it. On the scale in today's world, this, th there's tulpas in all kinds of past cultures. But in today's world, it's really spread because of internet and email and social media and all of that. Right. Urban legends are widely disseminated, unproven stories of unusual events that evoke a strong feeling, emotional response, such as fear, shock, or revulsion. Yeah. And when you spread that through the internet and you have enough people fearing this story that you've heard, this urban legend, the, the idea is that it can become a tulpa, become a real thing. I feel like I've heard, I feel like I've seen or heard of movies that have done this already or maybe shows or something. I, I'm, I'm imagining that you're going to get into. I will. There's a lot of pop culture references. I mean, the, I didn't know. I just liked the idea of it. And I really, really enjoyed researching this. It's fascinating. Yeah. No, it's super cool. The characteristics of a tulpa. At first, it starts appearing like a ghost haunting with knocks and shadows and footsteps. That's as it's starting to manifest. That causes the fear and the emotion then to reinforce itself because you're now really afraid of it and you're right. really believing in it. And so then it becomes more and more real. It's not a ghost. So you don't have the cold spots. You don't have the EMF changes. You don't have the EVP, um, that kind of thing. Uh, once it manifests, it becomes real. It's solid. It can block light. It can pick up object, objects. Allegedly, they say it can teleport wherever the creator wants it to go. Which interesting. Is interesting. So, yeah. Especially, I feel like that's especially interesting because, you know, you mentioned that it could take years to get this psychic energy. To, so how do you determine, you know, if it takes that much time to make a tulpa individually, how do you determine where you want it to go, you know, yeah. or like give it direction kind of thing? Interesting. Yeah, it, it is very interesting. In individual cases, like the imaginary friend, they're generally not dangerous. They exist only for the person who created them. But if you create one from negative emotions, it could turn on its maker and it can, it can kill other people for its maker or it could kill its maker. Right. Examples of Tulpa. The most famous one is Slender Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Slender Man is a man with extremely long slender arms and legs, typically wears a black suit, a hat of some kind. It might be a fedora, it might be a top hat. Um, the bowler, usually a scarf and tie, very pale, slightly ghostly looking. He generally is very polite, keeps his hands like behind his back as he walks, I guess in a non-threatening type. Uh, yeah, and he doesn't pose. have a face. Did you mention that too? Because he doesn't. That, some say it doesn't have a face. Some say it's a face wrapped in something. It's creepy. It appears to float rather than walk, which makes sense because it's got these gangly arms and legs, which would make it hard to move. And so like it kind that. of floats, which makes me think of Buffy, the hush. Ooh, one with the, so good. I yeah. know, that was such a good show. But the way they glide, that was so creepy. But that's yeah. how I picture Slender Man. Uh, reportedly, he likes the woods and suburban areas. 
He's often seen in large groups of children. It, mm -hmm. it's supposedly that's what he likes. They don't know if he eats them or just takes them somewhere, but he's got this fascination with children. Yeah. And he seems unconcerned with being seen in the daytime or being photographed. I read, I read parts of this book. It's called The Slender Man Mysteries and Internet Urban Legend Comes to Life. It's by Nick Redfern. And he talked about how the Slender Man became, I see your kitty cat. <laughs> he's taking my seat. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. How Slender Man came to be. Apparently there was a morning show called Coast to Coast AM, which was kind of a paranormal show. And people called in and were talking about having seen the Slender Man. And that was the point where the Slender Man urban legend shifted to a more sinister belief. Gotcha, yeah. They think it's because the people calling in created this worldwide or nationwide fear, which then strengthened the tulpa into something more than what it was. Right. Just all, the only thing that's important is that the audience believed that what they were hearing was true. And well, that's I've seen a documentary on Slenderman um, about these, you know, the two little girls who thought that they, you know, one of them said that she saw Slenderman and he told her, oh, you need to kill your friend. And so she tried to. She did. Yeah. Well, um, she, yeah. She tried. Yeah. I think the, the girl lived, but she had been stabbed by like 12 times or something like that. But like, it was because Slenderman told that girl to do it and she 100% believed it. Yeah. Um, and, and it was because it became such a huge internet sensation. Yeah, Slenderman is really interesting. And I never thought of him as a tulpa. Like, I, it, it makes sense now that you're talking yep. about it, but I never really considered it that way before. Yeah, he is considered the, the epitome of a tulpa in today's society, the Slenderman. So interesting. Puka lives which I have not seen. It's a Hulu in the dark movie. You know, they yeah. do the movie series of the horror movies. Puka Lives is apparently a tulpa. It plays around with the idea of a tulpa. Uh, there's a virtual puka challenge that brings this venge vengeful tulpa to life. And so what it really makes you think about is the power of mob mentality. Yeah. How viral things can go on the internet and how much power that has, not necessarily in supernatural things, but in general. Right. Just something can take off on the internet and it can ruin somebody or it can make somebody. Um, yeah, 100%. So it is very interesting to think of Tulpa on this widespread level. Yeah. And then this is the one that I why I thought about Tulpa and what made me know about it is the supernatural episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's episode season one, episode 17, Hell House. And in that episode, there was an urban legend about Mordecai Murdoch. And it was made up by these people who had their own little website. This guy and his cousin, they had a website that they told scary stories. And so they accidentally created this tulpa. They spread this rumor that um, during the depression, Mordecai was a farmer and he had his six daughters and the crops were failing and they were starving to death. And he thought that it would be better to kill them quickly than to have them starve over time. So he killed all six of his daughters and then hung himself. And the urban legend was that anybody that went to that house, any woman that went to the house would be found hanging. So they made it up, but they put it on their little, you know, kind of like creepypasta website. 
Right. And it went viral and created a tulpa of Mordecai Murdoch. He came to life. And what was interesting in that story was the way Dean and Sam hoped to defeat him was for that same website to post about a weakness. He's afraid of guns. Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, that will spread and then he'll be weak and we can go in and kill him. Well, the, they go to the house expecting to be able to kill him and the internet had crashed. And so it never got disseminated and they ended up having to burn the house down and hope that the spirit was confined, confined to that area and that there would be no reason for anybody to go there ever again because it had been burned down. That's right. But that season one of Supernatural was something else. It was so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, season one to me was the best of all. Mm -hmm. Another urban legend that could be considered a tulpa is Bloody Mary. Yeah. Yeah, where you go into the into a mirror, you turn off the lights, you have a candle, and you say you chant Bloody Mary, and there's a different number of times. You know, sometimes it says three, sometimes it says thirteen, mm -hmm. and Bloody Mary will supposedly appear. You chant her name. Mary is said to be a witch who was executed a hundred years ago for playing uh, playing the black arts, or a woman in modern times who died in a local car accident in which her face was hideously mutilated. And if it's that one, she comes through and scratches your face from mm. the mirror. You see her behind you in the mirror. Yeah. Um, I tried to find real life examples of people claiming to have seen Bloody Mary. And this lady said, a friend of mine said that her roommate tried this and ran screaming from the bathroom. She was shaking and appeared genuinely terrified and refused to talk about the incident. But those around her, when she came out, noticed that she had clenched finger that her clenched fingers were covered in blood yikes but think about the you know the slumber parties when you're a little kid and everybody goes and they're like oh let's go in the bathroom and chant bloody mary i mean that kind of belief is exactly what they think a tulpa comes from right so you think of things like bigfoot the loch ness monster fairies demons angels yeti all of those could theoretically yeah. be tulpas that have been brought about because people believe in them yeah so, that's so interesting to think about it it really is the way that you supposedly defeat a tulpa is the way sam indeed tried tried to was to change the belief the mass belief if enough people believe that it's no longer there or that it's joke or whatever it will kill it yeah. Or like Sam and Dean tried to make have make it have a witness that could then be, I mean, a weakness that could then be used to kill it. Or supposedly you can kill the creator of it, which if if it's a mass, if it's mass, how do you do that? Other right. than, you know, change their thoughts on it. But right. if it's a, and who wants to kill the little kid who made the imaginary friend? I mean Right, exactly. <laughs> and also like what if the Tulpa is the one who kills its creator, you know? That's true too. But see, then that doesn't make any sense. If the creator dies and it kills the tulpa, then the tulpa would never want to kill its creator because that would logically yeah, exactly. kill itself. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. There are people out there trying actively to create tulpas. There is a have, whole have community. Read any success stories? Um, Reddit, you should go look at the Reddit thread. Some of it's okay crazy. I couldn't really find anything that I wanted to share that made sense enough for me to say, oh yeah, this is really interesting. 
but yeah. there are Reddit threads about it, people trying to create tulpas, people, kids who want help with their homework. Yeah. That was one I read. I, I want this tulpa to help me with my homework and I really need it and I'm going to think really hard and it's going to come to life and help me. Sure. <laughs> um, but things like um, there was one girl that said that she had a, a really good dream, but she couldn't remember it when she woke up and she was able to ask her tulpa to help her remember it and it helped her. Because oh, yeah. it's, that's like, you know, psychological, I feel like. And I mean, but maybe that's the point is you can also. Yeah, there's a lot of de debate as to whether the thought of tulpas is really a person with um, identity disorder, uh, diso disassociative identity disorder, yeah. um, or schizophrenia, because it, it really is the people talking in your head. You're talking to this thing, and it, then it becomes manifested outside of your body, but no one else can see it necessarily but you, but sometimes people right. can see it. Depends on what you read. But the idea of a tulpa has huge possibilities for urban fantasy. Oh yeah, I could see it being the basis of a magical system. Me too. Um, that'd be fun to write. A, an entire magical system based on belief. Mm -hmm. I Which mean, I know that there are things that are similar to that, but I don't know that they, I don't know that it's specifically from the idea of tulpas, but I know that there are uh, stories and, and books and stuff out there that are, um, you know, their magical system is based on belief and you have to believe it. You have to have the willpower and the intent in order to produce magic. Think of the movie, The Skeleton Key. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Such a great movie. That's a good um, one. And belief was a huge part of yeah. that system. So, yeah, interesting. But, Super I mean, I could see, you know, trying to, you, you've got a form of magic that takes on form of whatever a person believes. Right. And how do you control that? If, if they believe that someone's going to, get in a car and have an accident and that happens, you know, so then you're trying to have a society that's trying to suppress people that can do that. And I can't see that would be any good because you try to suppress someone believing in something, they're going to believe in it more. Right. All kinds of ideas for yeah, both of these. I thought the gin was great too. That, yeah. That, love that. Super neat. Yeah. This is a, this is an interesting episode because it did get me thinking a lot about, Oh, how can I use this in an urban fantasy? Um, no, super neat. Also, what kept coming to mind as you were talking about tulpas and um, changing belief systems and all of that in order to, to defeat them, Tinkerbell is kind of like a tulpa. <laughs> she is. There's actually something called the Tinkerbell syndrome. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and part of that was because in Peter Pan, where she sprinkles the fairy dust on yeah. um, the girl, Wendy, yeah. and Wendy can suddenly fly. That is thought to, you know, in analytical terms, have been her believing in herself, then becoming able to do something as opposed to really magic fairy dust. Right. But that there is something called the, the Tinkerbell syndrome. Interesting. Uh-huh. Super neat. Super yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed the bonus episode. We will post it It'll on the last day of the month. And every, every last day of every month, we'll have new monsters. If you have monsters and myths you want us to talk about and research, let us know. We'd be glad to do it. Anything yep, that you're yeah, thinking of that you're maybe wanting to work on in your urban fantasy and you want to hear some ideas about it, we'll be glad to, to do that for you. Thanks, guys. So, 
Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time.